Did you know 2016 is the earliest arrival of spring of our lifetime so far in the Northern Hemisphere? Uh, That's according to Bob Berman's article in the Old Farmer's Almanac. Usually we're looking at the 21st for spring, this year the 19th and 20th. And because of the leap year, February 29th, the timing is off a little bit. It's all about math, Um, but I'm afraid you'll probably have to remove your socks for that. But since you asked, simply put, it all happens because the number of days in the year aren't even. A year lasts 365 days, 5 hours, 48 minutes, and 46 seconds. Call it 365.2422 days. If only... If, so it's 11 minutes longer, or 365.25000 days, we could simply add one day every fourth year and take care of the fraction forever. That's the math. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, on the Home Discovery Show today, solution to Vancouver's overheated real estate market from a 30-year-plus real estate expert. Also, Todd Talbot from Love It or Listed Vancouver talks about real estate fees, some you may not have even thought of. Our regular feature with What's Bugging You and our pest control guru, Joe Gabera, will open the lines if you've got something at your place that's bugging you. And before you use your mower, trimmer, blower, chainsaw, or pruner this coming season, uh, you'll want to hear some tips for making this a trouble-free and safe spring and the top 10 tools in air that every homeowner should have. Vince Taylor is a partner at Platinum Project Marketing in Vancouver, part of the McDonald Realty family. And Vince has more than 30 years' experience and brings a a broad and unique perspective to all aspects of real estate. In this market, it seems the news is pretty gloomy for a lot of us, but you think there may be a solution or perhaps some advice for this out-of-control market. And we uh, asked Vince Taylor about that. Number one, and, and this may not be very popular, Ian, but I listen to this conversation every day about people saying that they're so upset, our neighborhoods are changing, and, and, and what can be done? Well, there is a thing that can be done, and that is don't sell your house. Hmm. Now, you know, I know that may not sound popular, but I deal with this every single day, and I have so many people come to me and say, my goodness, the fabric of my neighborhood is changing, and this and that, and the loss of affordability. There is some accountability on the people who live in these communities because there is no law, Ian, that says you have to sell. So I know that might be a, a, a knuckle wrap and a, and a tough place to start, but I think if we're going to have an honest discussion about real estate in a city like Vancouver, we can't look to the government to give solutions and to prohibit foreign ownership. Yeah, Vince, i gotta, I got to stop you there for a, little, for a second because I'm thinking about somebody who, who's land-rich and cash-poor, you know, that old saying, somebody who might be living on the west side, they've been there for 40 or maybe even 50 years, and that's their retirement. They don't want to go to Chilliwack. They want to they stay and retire in the area where they've lived all their life, where they raise their kids and their dogs. Well, I think that there's there's some truth there, and, and step one, and I'll come to another solution for you. Step one is find a different way. You don't have to sell your house. So partly, I think in Vancouver, we have to take accountability for ourselves. If we want to keep our neighborhoods, if we want to stay, there are other ways. And that is not to be in any way disrespectful to someone who is, as you say, absolutely needing the money from their house. But we hear a lot of people that are doing a lot of complaining, but also doing a lot of selling, coming to see me with pockets full of money and then complaining about the buyer. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is 
that's not really fair either. You can't have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> How many people are doing that? I mean, are these the ones that are making it to the newscast? Or, I mean, is there that many people that are really at that end of the market? Thousands and thousands. And that, and that goes to the second question or, or more the specific question that you bring up. I get the call every day saying, I sold my house in, you know, pick a city. I've got all this money. What do I do now? Uh, you know, I didn't want to sell, but at those prices, well, my wife and I, we figured we had to. You know, we've seen this before, and this happened in the 90s uh, it, when I was back in the development side of things, and, and literally thousands of people moved out to areas like Walnut Grove. Walnut Grove never used to exist. It's a wonderful, thriving community now, mm-hmm. but in the mid-90s, there was nothing there. So we're seeing the net benefit to communities like Langley, to Abbotsford, my God, Abbotsford is absolutely on fire right now, and people have what we'll call rediscovered these wonderful communities because of what we'll call also this affordability crisis. You can buy a home in Surrey, specific to your question, for the same price you could in 2005 in some cases. You can buy condos for less than I sold them for. That's not because Surrey isn't desirable. It's because the densification of, of Surrey, the, the amount of homes that were allowed to be built, the inclusion by the mayor and council that said, we want people to move here. There's no affordability crisis if you want to buy condos or multifamily in Surrey. In fact, you can buy them for less today. So this blanket idea that somehow or other there is nowhere to buy in the lower mainland just isn't true. Now, this is part of a much larger discussion about bubbles and when's it going to end and how's it going to go. But it's not fair to say that the entire greater Vancouver real estate market is out of control because that simply isn't true. All I'm saying is don't sell and complain. If you're going to sell, sell with a smile on your face and go help these other communities, which are still affordable and still within reach. Vince Taylor, who is a partner at Platinum Project Marketing in Vancouver. Uh, he's been involved in all aspects of real estate for more than 30 years. He spoke to me yesterday on Vancouver Real Estate Today on CKNW. And the reason I wanted you to hear that is because he says things that I haven't heard anybody else say. And is he right or is he wrong? I'm not completely sure, to tell you the truth. But at least he's saying things that might be provocative and, and give us pause to think about what he is saying. I believe that if you were to ask 100 people about real estate in this area, you're, it's very likely that you would get 100 different answers. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about some of the buying and selling fees associated with real estate from Todd Talbot from Love It or Listed Vancouver. That's next on The Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. The 10 tools every home must have in just a moment. When it comes to buying and selling real estate for residential, not so much for commercial, uh, we asked Todd Talbot of Love It or Listed Vancouver for some of the fees, uh, particularly the unknown fees when it comes to real estate. Well, it's interesting because a lot of people, especially first-time buyers, get into the process and they don't necessarily understand what they're getting into. You know, they understand purchase price. That's what everyone gets focused Mm -hmm. on. But there are different fees associated with both the buying process and the selling process. One of the things that um, on the selling side that I think people miss most often, this is the fee that people forget about and sometimes comes back to kick them in the butt, is the fact that if they have a mortgage, 
they might have fees associated with um, closing that mortgage out once they sell that property. And that can be a lot of money. You think you're going to net out a certain number, and then at the end of the day, you kind of get hit with this discharge fee, and that can really impact whether you choose to sell or not. And really, you know, whoever's advising you in that process needs to make sure that you're aware of all of the fees. And, you know, even little things where a couple of hundred dollars makes a difference, Mm -hmm. where, you know, you Mm -hmm. have to clean the place at the end, or moving costs. So there's a lot of little nuances. And on the buying side, um, you know, there's things that I think that people... Um, might not calculate in. Um, And one of the big misconceptions is around commissions. People don't necessarily understand how they work. And especially on the buying side, because people will say things like, oh, as a buyer, you don't pay commission. Now, I think that's slightly misleading because the commission is built into the sale price. Yes, you are not writing a check to your real estate agent who is helping you transact that. But that money is coming out of the proceeds of the sale. So the commissions are being set by the seller. So it's something that a buyer does need to be aware of, and they also need to be aware of the fact that when it comes time to sell, that is going to then be their responsibility. Who's the best person to advise you on that? I mean, is this something that you can trust your real estate agent to? Uh, should you be talking to your mortgage broker, your banker? Who's the best person to turn to to, to keep it on the straight and narrow for Both. you? So, your real estate agent will be able to outline all of the costs and the fees associated with buying and selling. That's part of the job. You need to be able to walk your client through that, make sure there's no surprises. Second to that, there's information that they won't be privy to, which is maybe mortgage information. So you want to be in communication with your mortgage broker. If you're buying, making sure that you understand any extra costs, if there's appraisal fees or there's land survey fees or anything like that, you need to be aware of that. I think a key here is if you've got a relationship with a real estate agent, is to ask before you start the process. Absolutely. What are the fees? First of all, what are your commission fees? And we'll get into commissions at another time. But, yeah. but what are the, the fees for your commissions? What are the buying, selling, all of the, the processes that you have to go through to complete the transaction? You and nailed it. They it's, should be able to put that on the mm-hmm. table. Uh, and, and it is. It should be outlined in writing. Everything should be in writing so that you can actually see it, sign off on it. We write it right down on the contract. You initial it so that you understand that we've had the conversation. The other thing is about asking questions, which you absolutely nailed. Ask questions. Mm -hmm. Ask dumb questions. Ask smart questions. Never stop asking questions. I've been involved in this industry um, for many years now, and I still phone people and ask them questions. I've, I've got my, my mortgage broker on speed dial, my team of people that I work with to help people buy and sell. I rely on them all the time. I'll phone them up, ask them, bounce ideas off them. I mean, you cannot have enough information. Todd Talbot of Love It or List It Vancouver, which is seen Monday nights, tomorrow night at 10 o'clock on W Network. Not only is he a great co-host and uh, the variety of uh, acting things that he does and has done over the years, but he's also a real estate expert, and he is very, very active in, in the real estate market. Uh, check out Love It or Listed Vancouver. They're at the tail end now of season three and in the middle of uh, filming season four, uh, 10 o'clock tomorrow night on the W Network. He had some interesting comments as well. Now, whether you rent your own home, whether you own your own home, uh, whether you've got a good set of tools or whether you've got not so good set of tools, a lot of knowledge, or just a little bit, 
Uh, we have assembled for you the essential top 10 tools that every home should have. And before I get into the 10, uh, I think number one is to buy quality. Absolutely. Don't, don't go for the junky stuff. Right. Buy something that's going to last you a long time. And it's going to do what it's supposed to do. And, and the, one of the greatest examples of that is a, is a Phillips screwdriver. You yes. know, you've got, that's, uh, would you say it's a star shape? Everybody calls it the star, absolutely. Okay, yeah. so uh, you want it to stay in the star shape. That's right, yes. <laughs> okay, so, I, I get where you're going, yes. All right. Yes. Um, if you've got a choice, so don't cut corners on quality, and you know, it can be very, very frustrating. That goes to screwdrivers, uh, hammerheads that, you know, fly off the handle. How many times is that on? Mm-hmm. I guess that's where that, that saying came from, fly off the handle. Yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, pliers that slip. Uh, it's, uh, now, the other thing is just to have a tool bag or a box. Absolutely. Somewhere to put something. this stuff. Mm-hmm. And before I get to the, the 10 tools, the, the final thing I wanted to mention to see if you wouldn't agree with this, and that is safety glasses and earplugs. Absolutely. You always use them. Yeah. Um, so on the list, starting at number 10, is a power drill. Absolutely. It can be corded. It can be cordless. Um, something to give you that little extra effort. What do you use a power drill for? Everything. Drilling holes for putting in screws for you know, anything, you, anything, sanding, even polishing. You can put different fittings on the end of it. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and they're not all created equal, I take it. Uh, no, the price is entirely what you get. Okay. Number nine is a handsaw. Absolutely. Sometimes you can't use a power saw. You need to get in with a handsaw, tree trimming, or, or even cutting holes in, into plaster. If you're going to have one saw in your toolkit, what is it going to look like? Most would get a hacksaw, actually, because cutting the metal is hard. You can muddle through with other things if you're cutting wood or gypsum. Okay. Number eight is a utility knife. Absolutely. You can get ones at the snap-off blades or a regular carpet knife. Um, this is where you're going to need to be making sure you're getting some safety, some gloves as well, because those, those blades will break. Mm-hmm. Uh, tape measure? Imperative. Absolutely. Metric and imperial, or one of each if you need. Now... Is a tape measure uh, like a physical tape measure, as you know, as in the old school, it, com- it comes out and it snaps back into place? Is that necessary? Because there, there surely is an app for that now. Well, there are. It just depends on the accuracy. I just, I just now, after um, two decades of business, just now bought it, an electronic digital one. I can shoot a laser beam across the room and, and get within a thirty-second of an inch. And it works. It works. Yeah. Is that, a, is that something that a homeowner should have, or are they just fine with just a regular standard tape measure? Regular standard tape measure is fine for what you're doing. This is for estimating purposes. Okay. Number six is a ladder. Absolutely. Uh, everything in, in the house now, you're going way up high. You get the top shelf, uh, whether you're getting into the attic space, a ladder is a, is a very good tool. Duct tape? Fixes everything. <laughs> now, the one that I would add with that, so I'll put a duct tape slash WD-40. Yes. What, how does that go if it doesn't, do you know? Oh, if it, uh, if it moves and it's not supposed to, use duct tape. If it doesn't move and it's supposed to, use the WD-40. Right. Okay. Uh, everybody knows what that stuff is. It's ubiquitous, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, number four is pliers. Pliers. They can be slip joint pliers. They can be locking pliers. They, it, it's just for those ones, those places where you got to pull something out or get a grip on something. Not great for spinning off nuts and things because they, they could strip, but absolutely need some some sort of locking ones are a great idea. Locking ones are great. I would add to that uh, the other uh, the type of pliers that I have. I don't have a great collection of tools, but is a plumber's uh, plier. Absolutely. They're slip joint or they call them crescents, uh, uh, crescent branches, crescent pliers. Uh, crescent's a brand name, but a slip joint is the more common one. It's variable sizes. You can work on pipes with it as well. Three is a level. 
Yes, that can be a little torpedo level, 9-inch one. It could be all the way up to a 4-foot level. I would ask you again because on my phone, I have it, it came with a level. Well, well, certainly, but then and that's accurate to within the, the length of the of the actual phone or the the uh, the width of the phone itself. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, sure, hanging pictures, why not? Screwdrivers, screwdrivers. You mentioned the Phillips one. Everybody calls them the star of the square or the flathead ones. The flatheads are still available. How about a multi multi bit one? Yeah, one, uh, and uh, it gets all sorts of ones. So those are uh, like the magnetic tip ones. Magnetic tip ones. They're yeah, different manufacturer, different quality again. So how do you know if it's good or is it, is it I mean, is price the, the leading indicator? It is. Um, look for where it's made. Sometimes you get thinner metals. It is a tough, um, but multi ones are usually very good. Sometimes you see if you go to the box stores or a hardware store, even some grocery stores at the, at the end of the, the till, they, they have these multi-bit screwdrivers. Yes. And, you know, you can get the whole set for, you know, six ninety five, mm-hmm. but they're garbage. Well, it, some it, of them, it, yeah, and, and something is better than nothing. I mean, how many times I had to pull out the butter knife to get that flathead one out? Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Mm-hmm. Number one is a hammer. <laughs> that should be at the top of the list. It is at oh, the top. Of the list. Number one, <laughs> absolutely. And so, different kinds of hammers. There's framing hammers, finishing hammers, ball peen hammers. A good quality hammer, and and weight is where they decide on, and so it has to be comfortable for you. What's the weight then we should be looking at? You would, most people would probably want a 16-ounce finishing hammer. It's a smooth face on it. It doesn't have that serrated edge on it. hurts less when you whack your thumb. Oh, you know? <laughs> oh, yes. Does it happen to you regularly? Yes. It, why is that? I hit the wrong nail all the time. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And so just to give me that hammer business one. 16-ounce. 16-ounce. Yeah. And a smooth face. And what that is, the, the, the rough edge is so it doesn't slide off the nail, but a smooth face is more common in gotcha. the home. Wood handle or rubber handle? Uh, whatever your comfort is. Okay. Now, you've heard those top 10. What's missing on that list? And I know what you're going to say. And we haven't talked about this, but I know what you're going to say. What's missing on this list? Well, there should be some some form of some sort of safety equipment in there. Oh. Uh, you mentioned the goggles uh, and, and some gloves, but um, um, something in there because when you're taking up tile, uh, running away with shards of tile, it can cut you open. I thought for sure you were going to see a multi-tool like a Leatherman. Well, that's just a personal bias I have, but sure, you know that can that can fix you up with everything. But you're, that everything you've mentioned there is is on the Leatherman. I have that in my kitchen drawer, and I could not live without it. <laughs> I don't use it, but I couldn't live without it. Hey, what's bugging you? Raccoons, squirrels, rats, silverfish, spiders, snakes. Joe Gabera is next on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk nine eighty CKNW. Ian Power back with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. Be sure to follow along on the Home Discovery Show page on Facebook. In response to what's bugging you and the many requests that we get through email and on Facebook, we've invited Joe Gabera with Green Valley Pest Control to join us to help make this spring critter-free. Joe, nice to have you with us again. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Um... Many believe that this early spring, I mean, spring officially starts today, as you know, but uh, that we've been having more or less uh, rodent problems that are, it's just, a lot of people say it's worse this year than ever. I've asked you this in the past. Uh, uh, People say they're seeing more mice, more rats, but is it true that maybe now that the weather will start to change that we'll see a little less of the mice and rats because they generally want to go indoors? That's right. Well, they don't need to go indoors when it's warmer out, and there's more food supply outside, obviously. So they're 
our rodents are called commensal rodents, which means they want to live with humans because they know that we supply a food source for them. Mm-hmm. But obviously when spring comes and there's lots of food supply outside, then they don't have to come in as often. I'm, I think I'm going to regret this question, but I'm going to go for it anyway. What, what do mice and rats eat? Oh, they eat anything. They're omnivorous. <laughs> yeah. They'll absolutely eat anything. Just like Steve. He'll eat anything. <laughs> so most of us know what a mouse looks like. Uh, most of us know what a rat looks like. But what, what is the difference between, because we've, we hear the different names, a roof rat, a Norway rat, a, a pack rat, and don't tell me that they sing. Is there a difference, and could the average person tell what the difference is? No, probably not. I mean, rats can be many colors, too, gray, black, so you can get gray and black roof rats and Norway rats. Um, Roof rats are a little bit smaller than Norway rats, and they tend to live in attics more so, like to nest in higher areas. But then again, Norway rats will nest in attics, too. So Mm -hmm. they are a little bit different, but not the average person would know. And obviously a mouse is very tiny. I mean, it'll fit in the palm of your hand, whereas a rat won't. Now. Somebody suggested that the Norway rat is, is more likely to burrow under things, whereas the, the roof rat, as you just said, is more likely to be in your attic. Is there any, that, any that, truth to that? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. But again, they'll both be in both areas as well. But, you know, okay. they uh, tend to, tend to, one likes to be up high and one likes to be low. I feel pretty safe when I say this, at least in my neighborhood. We're, we're in or very close to bird season. The nest, the noise, the bird poop, it's all there. Uh, is there a safe and effective way to deal with birds so that they won't bring harm to your property? Yes, absolutely. It's just like any, whether it's rodents or birds, any type of wildlife, anytime their droppings come, they can carry disease. Or more so, they like bird droppings can carry what's called histoplasmosis, which is a fungus, and that can get in your lungs and cause respiratory problems. Ew. So... When you get um, birds' nests, it's mainly starlings this time of year. Mm. And they'll get up in swallows and uh, sparrows. They'll get up in your soffit areas, and they'll leave a heck of a mess up in there. So you don't want to just, I mean, if you're a handyman, you can clean it, and you can do it yourself. You just make sure you clean it properly. Right. So you want to wear you want to wear a, ma- a mask, and usually a HEPA filter, a proper respirator mask is the best. Right. Goggles, a hat, gloves. You know, you don't want to breathe any of it in. I usually recommend wetting it down first with like an ammonia base or bleach. Okay. It's something that'll control the dust that comes out so you're not spreading it everywhere. Good plan. And then you then you pull all the dust, uh, the nesting material down and seal up the soffit. We do a lot of birds and rodents and the whole bit, that yeah. kind of thing. Is it too early to start talking about bees or wasps? Uh, I'm getting a few calls, and it's just mainly the queens that are just starting out. So the nests are starting. But we nothing nothing really set in stone yet. More ants. Like, we've had ants all winter. It's been so mild. Uh, normally, you don't get ants until, you know, January, February. But we've had them right from November through. Tons of ants, especially if people have heated floors. Oh, is that right? Gonna, oh, yeah. They get underneath the slab, and then when the heat comes on in the wintertime, they think it's spring. Oh, yeah. And are we talking about carpenter ants or any? Uh, no, no more, mainly the moisture or cornfield ants. We're getting a lot of those. Carpenter ants, are they, they don't really slow down. They, we usually get those year-round anyways. But, yeah, uh, yeah a, lot of, a lot of little cornfield ants that are living underneath the uh, sand and soil and underneath the slabs of the homes. We're getting lots of those. Will you hang on a sec? 
Sure. Joe Gabera from Green Valley Pest Control is with us on the line, and we'll open the phone to you if you've got an insect or a rodent or any kind of a pest problem at your place. You can get some good advice from an expert right now at 604-280-9898 or star 9898. And we'll be back on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. We're talking to Joe Gabera from Green Valley Pest Control. And uh, we have a line open for you if you want to ask Joe a question. If you've got a problem with a pest or an insect or anything like that, uh, feel free to call us now, 604-280-9898. And uh, we'll start with Lauren. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Go ahead to Joe Gabera. Uh, well, I've uh, had a friend of mine that just bought an old house, and he's uh, renovating it. And there's uh, been a number of silverfish coming out of the pipes and stuff. Uh, somebody tells me they're in the walls, but I think they're usually in the pipes. And how do you get rid of these things? Um, we treat for them. We can use a lot of organic chemicals, too, because they're pretty easy to kill. So we can use some of the um, boric acids and uh, diatomaceous earth dust and things like that, dust inside around the... They don't come out of the pipes, but they come out around the pipe chases. They live in the dark, damp, moist areas of your home. So if it's an older home and it wasn't insulated properly and you've got a lot of uh, dampness and stuff, then they can live anywhere throughout the house. But yeah, they, we can properly treat them. Are they harmful? No, not really. I mean, they, they have been known to get into food products and eat cottons, but it, it's rare. They, you know, mainly they're staying and they, they eat saps and nectars that come off of wood and stuff. So that's why people got to be careful if they have wood burning fireplaces. Right. Uh, I know this through experience because I brought them in myself with my, with my wood, from my wood pile. I bring in wood and I started noticing a whole bunch of silverfish. That's what we like about you, Joe, is that you're in the business and you, you have just about everything happen to you. Oh, yeah. I've had everything. <laughs> Does yeah. that help, Lauren? Uh, uh, excellent. Thank you very much. You bet. Thanks for calling. Good to hear from you. Uh, Debbie, good morning. Yes, hi. I'm actually calling in for my brother. He lives in a very old um, apartment and uh, he's unfortunately his his apartment is in got bed bugs. He's also low income, so just wondering, what do you have to do to get rid of them, and how expensive is it, and what can you do so they don't come back? All good questions, Joe. Thanks. Right. Well, we use heat treatments generally, um, unless the building is so infested and there's a lot of turnover, then that's just not feasible. Because if you use a heat treatment, they can come back. So mm. heat treatments generally range about nine hundred to a thousand dollars for an apartment. And which sounds like a lot of money, but long term it's not. When you when you treat a home with for uh, bed bugs with chemicals, you really don't get rid of them. You're basically just maintaining them. Mm-hmm. Plus, if they're in furniture, you're gonna have to throw that away. So I always tell people the cost of one nice couch is the cost of the heat treatment. Right. And and you're a one time service with heat. When we come in, we treat it. It's over. Um, whereas chemicals, you're gonna do five six treatments, and it's only gonna be a maintenance uh, program. Plus. If the people around you have them, they have to be treated too. So you really have to get together as a big unit and and you know control the whole building. So if he's in an apartment and and as a renter, he needs to go to his landlord. And if you're in a strata situation, you need to go to your your council. That's and right. and you've got to work as you say. You've got to work as a community because if you get rid of the bed bugs in one unit, there's a good chance that they're they're in another unit and you're going to start all over again. That's right. And we can bring in a bed bug sniffing dog and check all the units as well to see which ones need to be treated. What kind of dog do you use? Uh, we use a beagle. Oh, nice. Of course, should have known. They've always <laughs> got their nose down, don't they? 
Yeah, a lot of, a lot of dogs are good at it, though. There's many dogs that are trained. Morning, Carol. Yes, I don't know if you have a solution, but we've been fighting with moles in our lawns, back and front lawns, for a number of years, and they're getting worse and worse. Oh, absolutely, yeah. We, we trap moles. We stake trap them. Um, we have different do. types of traps, too. Yeah, we, we're pretty successful. Are you? Because I mean, we've just... set up a bunch of traps and haven't caught one yet. It looks oh, like the surface yeah. of the moon out there. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we've always been successful doing it. Um, yeah. We'd have to come out and see the lawn and give yeah. you an estimate, yeah. see how much work was involved. But right. yeah, absolutely, we do it all the time. Okay, no, then. Thank no, you. No problem. Thanks, Carol. Give Joe a call. Uh, Joe Gabera with Green Valley Pest Control. Uh, so we're in spring now, officially today. I know it's the beginning of the season, but uh, what do you expect to be problematic this spring and coming summer? Is there anything that the radar is showing you right now? Well, it's the ants, as usual, and we're getting a lot of wildlife calls, so a lot of squirrels, things like that are coming inside, raccoons. I want to ask you about squirrels and raccoons. So you can't... Do you, now, I'm trying to think of how to put this, but, but basically uh, squirrels have to be relocated. Am I correct? No, they don't. They're oh. not allowed to be relocated, actually. Oh, okay, so I've got that opposite. Yeah, the squirrels that are in this area here... Um, are eastern gray squirrels. They're the either they're black or gray. Mm-hmm. They're the bigger squirrel. They're the ones that were basically imported from back in Ontario area and back east. And they've become a real problem to our indigenous squirrels here. Mm-hmm. There was actually a big news hour program on last night about same thing in Scotland. Scotland thought it would be nice at one time to import some of our oh. eastern grays to um, you yeah, know make sure are it cute. Look cute over there. Yeah. Well, they basically they took their indigenous species and their little reds and they you know cut them in half and now they've overpopulated so they're uh, they're quite a pest so yeah. squirrels are technically supposed to be killed oh so it's you're not allowed to trap uh, you're not allowed to relocate a squirrel once it's trapped what about the raccoons no no we don't kill those but we don't trap them either we be, you basically have to learn to live with wildlife so you want to do things to make your house rodent and uh, wildlife proof. So, you know, if you're having areas that they can get into, we do what's called exclusion where we seal it off. Um, but for every raccoon you try to relocate, you're going to have another one come along. So you, you want to do things like sealing your home. Then you want to look on the outside of your yard and see what are you doing that's attracting them there. Are you feeding the birds? Do you have uh, overgrowth of where they can live in? Um you know, things like that. So you definitely, definitely want and fruit trees are really bad too. I know fruit trees are beautiful to have, but yeah. they're the worst thing to have for rodents and sure. raccoons. Well, what about bird feeders though? I mean, you'd hate to tell somebody not to, to feed the birds or have a bird feeder or a bird bath. Well, there are some better bird feeders out nowadays. So you just have to go to the, um, you know, one of the bird feeding stores and find out, you know, what, what they can use that uh, won't fall on the ground. And some of them have big, you know, trays underneath them that'll catch it. Some of them are, you know, rodent-proof where the rodent can't climb up them because they sit straight up and they're just too slippery. Um, Others, you can use suet, which is the fat, and then usually it doesn't fall to the ground, but Mm -hmm. you still should have the ones with the tray built underneath. Sure. But they still attract it because you know how dirty, you know how filthy birds are when they eat, they're just (laughs) flicking it everywhere, and so... You're still going to get them. Yeah, that's what birds do for a living. They just eat and they eat and they poop and eat and more poop and all that. Uh, I, I know that clearly uh, prevention is always uh, the best uh, remedy, but most of the time I'm guessing you don't get called until there really is a problem. That's correct, yes. Right. And then you learn the hard way. Yeah, it always gets more expensive once they're in there.
Yeah. So. And you guys show up with uh, non-identified vehicles, which I like, so your whole neighborhood doesn't have to know that you've got a problem. <laughs> that's right. Right. Let's see, uh, let's see restaurants. They don't want to see a big bug truck. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Joe Gabera with Green Valley Pest Control, as always. Appreciate your time. We'll look forward to catching up uh, as we get closer to summer. Thanks for having me. You betcha. What's bugging you? Our regular segment with Joe Gabera from Green Valley Pest Control. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. I can always tell when it's spring in my neighborhood, it's that drone. You know what that drone is? No, what are you talking Power about? washers. Oh, yes. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. People are starting to do their driveways. I think people will want to get on that earlier because of any water restrictions that we might have, and, and surely we will. And so spring is here, uh, outdoor power equipment time, time to have a look uh, before you use your mower, your trimmer, your blower, your chainsaw, your pressure washer, whatever you're using, uh, to review and inspect the equipment to make sure that uh, you're using it in a safe manner and that the equipment is safe. And I think the the first place to start, if you have it and you should, is the owner's manual. And just have a quick uh, a quick look at it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so then after that is to have a just a, a inspect the equipment, visually look at it. Sure, absolutely. If, it, if it's been sitting in the shed over the winter, uh, maybe it's got some rust developing in places that uh, are, are hazardous if you turn the machine on. Loose belts, uh, missing or damaged parts, you want to be looking for that as well. Exactly. Replace the old oil. Is, is this just something that most people can do? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, most do. I, 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 most can. I don't think too many do, and that's a very good point. To um, it's, it's it's a very small engine. Doesn't take a lot of oil, but boy, it sure makes a difference if it works. Well, I know the two strokes are they're, they're really noisy. Yes, but the four strokes, if you if you have that, you do have to replace the oil, and they're a little bit quieter. And I think uh, because they're small engines, it's probably a good idea to change the oil. Absolutely, it is. Yeah. Sure, it is. Yeah. Check the fuel tank. What are we going to look for if we're checking the fuel tank? Well, you may not be able to see a whole lot. But don't uh, hold a match to don't it hold when you're looking no. at it. Yeah, you're, if it's been in the, over the winter, maybe your fuel has uh, gelled up a little bit. If it, it, The fuel's not really good to sit in it for the winter time. You may have to drain it out and put some cleaner through it uh, or some fuel stabilizer and, and, uh, and run it through. Yeah. Um, I think... If you get that sediment in the, the bottom of your tank, that's going to it's gonna really uh, affect the performance of the engine. Absolutely, and then it's, it's going to plug up the filter. It's going to plug up the small carburetor. It's, it's not very much tolerance uh, that will allow that to, to plug it up. Most of this equipment, unfortunately, and I say that because I'm not a big fan of power tools, to be honest with you, the ones that operate off of uh, gasoline. Yes. Uh, particularly, um, and I'll put it right out there, I, I'm not a fan of leaf blowers. I do not like them. I think they're noisy. They stink. They're unnecessary. I understand with larger developments and that that you have to use them because it would be next to impossible to rake, but I just put it out there. I'm just not a big fan of them. When it comes to fuel, though, when it comes to storing gasoline, do you have any tips on, on what to do there to, to keep it safe? Well, it has to be a certified container. You can't just stick it in any old container, but it has to be a certified container. They usually are a red color container, metal or plastic. Make sure they're, they're in a, uh, an area that has some ventilation. In it. Don't store them beside the mechanical room, for example, just because your mechanical room happens to be outside. You don't want any combustible um, opportunities around there. And and just most important thing, well ventilated. Make sure it's a safe can and um, um, out of uh, harm's reach of kids, for example. Yeah, the recommendation uh, from the Outdoor Power Equipment Institute, and there is such an institute, and basically they're an international trade association, 
and represent more than 100 power equipment engine and utility vehicle manufacturers and suppliers. And their recommendation is to never leave fuel that is more than 30 days old in any outdoor power equipment. That makes sense, absolutely. Check the undercarriage. Uh, make sure that uh, the blades are, if you have blades or, or some kind of a cutting tool, that they are moving freely and as they are supposed to. Right. If you happen to, maybe the bearings have seized up over the winter, you're going to try to turn it on. It's just going to rip your arm off if you pull that cord. Clean the equipment. Seems like a no-brainer. Get the dirt, the oil, the grass, anything that's stuck to that equipment that you didn't get off before you put it away. Clean it up, and you've got a tip on how to keep those blades clean. Just at the end of the season, uh, when we know we got it all finished, give it a good cleaning off and spray the bottom with, uh, with some WD-40. Okay. Some of these smaller motors do have air filters. Yes. So you want to change those or at least inspect them to make sure that they're clean and uh, doing their job. Change the spark plug. That's a, that's a no-brainer. Pretty easy to do. Sure it is, yeah. Yeah. And uh, obviously, uh, when you're inspecting your blades and that, is to, to have them just sharpened and make sure that they're performing. The, the, the more sharp they are or the, sh- the, the right sharpness will, will make them more efficient. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Well, it's been fun. We've covered an awful lot today. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure you check the, the Home Discovery Show Facebook page and follow along there. Amila Bamji is our technical producer. For Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, my name is Ian Power. Stay tuned for Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW.